that the judge had signed off on them. And if he didn't, my job was to resubmit the case to the judge with a warrant of arrest. And I hated that job. I remember the 10-mile commute, which in Houston, Texas, took more than an hour. I remember literally running into the court, courthouse in the morning to punch in, because that's what we had to do, to punch in as soon as I could so that I could get that extra quarter hour on my timesheet. I remember at the end of the day then standing next to the time clock for long minutes waiting for that time clock to hit 5 p.m. But I remember most of all sitting outside, sweating in those garages, bored, and wondering, does this job have any meaning at all? If I went back there today, I'll bet that I would recognize a vast majority of my coworkers, because you know what? In the job that I hated, they are still there. Forbes magazine recently blared out this. Unhappy employees outnumber happy ones two to one worldwide. Two to one. Now it depends what study you look at, but it ranges all the way from 29% to 95% of Americans are unhappy or not engaged in what they do on an everyday basis, whether they get paid for it or not. So what does this mean? It means that probably, most likely, you are not engaged or not happy in what you do with the vast majority of your time. But even if you do like what you do and you are happily engaged, you know someone who isn't. Suds Turco, he wrote a book about the working American back in the 1970s, and, and now it is really an American classic. And one of the editors of this book wrote this in reacting to this piece that show that there is something deeply wrong with the American work life. He said this, Most of us have jobs that are too small for our spirit. Jobs not big enough for people. Is your job too small for your spirit? It's a breathtaking question that we, it's breathtaking that we even have to ask that question, isn't it? Because we spend the vast majority of our time at work doing something whether we get paid for it or not. The average American, according to the study, spends 8.9 hours at work. Every day. That doesn't include commute time or time that is needed to be refreshed after working. The only activity that comes close to the activity of work in, 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 in our lives is sleep. And we sleep for an average of 7.7 hours per night. So that means for up to 50 years of our lives, we spend the vast majority of our time doing things that we are not engaged in and not happy about. 
But it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just our time, but as Americans, it's our very identity. Our identities are wrapped up in what we do. Isn't that true? Because the first question we ask people when we meet them is, what is your name? But the second question is what? What do you do? And yet, the vast majority of us have jobs that are too small for our spirit. People, people react to this, this Monday through Friday kind of slow death in different ways. Some people, they troll LinkedIn. They look for any kind of job that is different than what they have, thinking that maybe the perfect job is out there. It's not. Some people react to this slow Monday through kind of dying, dreaming about and hoping on their retirement. (laughs) Dreaming every day, someday I'm going to be on the golf links controlling my own time, but rarely, very rarely can retirement bear the weight of such expectations. Some people react to this draining kind of life. They arrive home at, at night, and the only thing that makes sense, the only thing that makes sense is binging on TV and Netflix. Some people dream only and live only for punching out and for the weekend. I remember I I also worked construction for a number of years, and my coworkers used to, to drag themselves into work on Monday morning bragging to me I only had one hangover for the entire weekend. You know what that means. Psychologists, if you ask them, their simple answer is this, work less. So they don't even deal with the problem at all. They'll say, work less, find something that is engaging and meaningful outside of work. But let me ask you, is this kind of Monday through Friday dying? Is this the kind of life that God has called us to? Is this kind of Monday through Friday, slow death, a life that is spirit-filled and Christ-motivated? See, it is time for us to, to begin to talk about not just what happens on Sunday, but what happens on Monday morning. And begin to see what happens Monday through Friday in our lives, whether we get paid for it or not. To see that through the eyes of God and through His Word. And that's why we're going to begin, we're going to begin this brand new sermon series on vocation, on our work lives, on our callings. By starting off with 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So listen to this with new ears as one who spends the vast majority of their time doing something. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says again. This is on page 6 in your bulletins. He says this, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is a rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. 
Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which God was in when he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. The Corinthian Christians, they had a lot of questions for their pastor. And their pastor was the Apostle Paul. And they were wondering, dear pastor, we understand now that Jesus redeemed us with his blood. He bled all over us. Our sins are gone. Now what? People were wondering, single people were asking the question, pastor, should I get married? Married people were asking the question, Pastor, my, my spouse is an unbeliever. Should I get a divorce? Engaged people were asking the question, Pastor, I just got engaged to my girlfriend. Should I marry her? Jews were asking the question, Pastor, I was circumcised way back when. Should I undo the circumcision? Gentiles were asking the, the question, Pastor, I am not circumcised. Should I get circumcised now? And you know what the Apostle Paul's answers these people every single time was this. He said, stay exactly as you are. That's what he says. He says, stay exactly as you are. Now, he grants some exceptions to the rule. And you can go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 on your own later. But he says this, stay exactly as you are. And in our spe- specifically in our lesson for today, he says it three different times. Listen again to what he says. Each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him, and to which God is calling. So we're talking about God placing us, assigning us, calling us, to our situation in life. Each one should remain in the situation he was in when God called him. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. So his line of his thought is very simple and, and, and the gospel is all over it. He says, you don't have anything to prove to God. You don't have to do, do some great thing to impress him or to call his attention to you. Because you are bought with the heavy and costly price of the precious blood of Christ. You are special to him. And that makes what you do, not only who you are, but what you do, holy and sacred and important to God. So he says, even to the slave, that's the most surprising one, isn't it? Even to the slave, he says, what you do is important and precious to God. You are called. So for Paul, the redemption of Jesus Christ, the justification that we have resulted in a Monday Friday being able to say, I have a divine, sacred call 
from God. Martin Luther, he grew up under the, the very heavy influence of the Roman church. And it used to be thought the monks and the nuns and the priests, they have a calling. They are doing something that is truly holy. Because they spend all day praying. They spend all day in the Word of God. They are holy, divine kind of people. And they're doing such good stuff that it helps everybody else out. But Martin Luther discovered the truth from God's Word that there is no difference between secular work and sacred work. They are one and the same. Because what you do is sacred and holy by the blood of Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. He also discovered this truth. There is no difference between what you do Monday through Friday. We might call it a job. And your calling. There is no difference. How can there be a difference between your job and your calling when God has placed you and called you to the exact situation that you are in right now. See, you don't just work at a job. You work at a calling from the Lord Jesus who bled and died for you. Diana was a medical transcriptionist. And if you know anything about medical transcription, you sit in front of a computer screen all day and you don't get paid by the hour. You get paid by how much information you can input into the system. And she, one day, she had a conversation with her pastor. She said, Pastor, how can you call anonymous data keeping, typing into a computer, a calling from God? How can you say that? Working with children, that's a calling. Preaching the Gospel, that is a calling. Singing on Broadway, that is a calling. But, but typing into a computer for eight or nine hours a day, anonymously keeping records? And the pastor said, Diana, what would happen if you do not input that data with meticulous care? What would happen? How can it not be a calling? Moms, what would happen if you suddenly decided, I don't want to be a mom anymore, and you just cut your kids loose? What would happen? How can being a mom not be a calling from God? Spouses, husbands, what would happen if you suddenly decided, I don't want to be a husband anymore? How can it not be a calling from God? Wives, wives, what would happen if you suddenly say, you know what? I don't want to be a wife anymore. It would be a total disaster, wouldn't it? How can it not be a calling from God? Artists, musicians, what would happen if you stopped to use your God-given talent to inspire the world? How can it not be 
a calling from God. You, maybe some of you are teachers. What would have happened if you failed to educate the young people in the sciences and how to be good citizens? How can it not be a calling from God? Through the blood of Jesus, what is secular? What is boring? What may be humdrum is now important to God. It is now sacred. It is now a vocation and a calling from God Himself. Tomorrow morning is Monday. Tomorrow morning, don't just go to work. Don't just go off to do whatever you do as if it was meaningless. Go to your calling. Serve in your calling. Rejoice in it. Embrace it. And live it. Because you are called by God. Amen.